In this chapter, we have Samuel's commission to anoint a son of Jesse at Bethlehem, Saul's evil spirit from the Lord, and the remedy for his melancholy. We see in this Saul decrease and David increase. Hear now the word of Almighty God, inspired by his spirit, profitable for us. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass, when they were come, and he looked on Eliab, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me, before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel, and Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. But... The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass, when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well, and bring him to me. 
Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning in playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread, and a bottle of wine and a kid, and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from 1 Samuel 16. Here is the transition. Saul's on his way down and out. David on his way in and up. Verses 1 through 5, we have Samuel appointed and commissioned to anoint a king among the sons of Jesse, at Bethlehem. How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Verse 1. Our affections should be made conformable unto God. We mourn, but not as the world. Our mourning, or all of our affections, must be made subject to God's word. Fill thine horn with oil, Samuel is commanded by God. If you'll recall, when Saul was anointed, it was a little flask with oil. Now it's a durable and larger horn, signifying the durability of David's kingdom and the greater measure of the spirit. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Now, apparently Saul or excuse me, Samuel understood that this was Bethlehem of Judah. There were other Bethlehems we've seen in the book of uh, Joshua when they divided the land. But this is Bethlehem of Judah, and apparently Samuel understands that the kingdom must come through Judah, so he knows it's Bethlehem of Judah. I note then God had predestined or had purposed to have the son of Jesse to rule over his inheritance. God provided, he said. Now the word provide is very important. It means to see beforehand. Pro is before, videre is to see. Providence or provision means to look to something beforehand. God provided for himself, provided me, he says, a king among his sons. Providence, then, rules over all. God has seen to and provided for things beforehand, and God calls upon us to trust in his providence, in his provision, in his foresight, in his providing all things needful for us. Let us rejoice when God's will is done, though he may slay us, though our plans might be overruled, God provides in his way, in his time, for his glory and our good. Now notice, think, think for a moment about Saul possessed with an evil spirit, do you think Saul's now going to give up his kingdom? 
Do you think he's going to be pleased with Samuel if he goes off and anoints somebody as king? Well, Samuel had no pretensions of the goodness of Saul. He didn't trust him, in other words. And so note there, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. Do you think Samuel believed in the repentance of Saul? That it would stick? That he'd actually stop his wickedness? He had no confidence. Absolutely no confidence in Saul. Rather, he believed that if Saul sees me doing God's will, he's going to kill me. Saul's repentance was like the morning dew. No real change of his ways. He's grown jealous over his kingdom. He's grown suspicious of David. Later he will, excuse me, of Samuel, he'll grow suspicious of David later and he'll slay the priest Ahimelech and all of his men out of suspicion. A murder in our affections is a murder in action just looking for an opportunity. So Samuel understands Saul has murder in his heart. All he needs is a pretext and I'm dead. Now notice God's condescension in this matter. The Lord said, take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. God is a God of truth. He loves the truth. And the father of lies is whom? Satan. Satan is the father of lies. God is the father of truth. Now, in light of this uh, deranged ruler Saul and his tyrannical power, his wicked civil leadership, which would have punished Samuel with death for doing what God commanded him, notice how God enabled Samuel to do two things. Very important. One, he could say the truth, while two, concealing his intentions from Saul. That's very important. God enabled him to do this. If God had said, listen, Samuel, his name is David, Bethlehem of Judah, I just want you to go there and anoint him. What could Saul do if he showed up and the elders asked Samuel, what are you here for? You know what Samuel would have said? I'm here to anoint Jesse's son, David, because he's a man of truth. He's spoken the truth from his youth. You remember Eli? Tell me the whole truth. And did Samuel do it? Of course he did. He's always spoken the truth. He's not a liar. He doesn't bend it. He doesn't twist it. But because God gave him an additional task, do the sacrifice, take a heifer, and if anybody asks you, what's he supposed to say? He's told words to speak, and everything he will speak will be the truth. But God is protecting him from any evil report that would circulate up to Saul. God is a God of truth. God is enabling this man's safety to be concealed and kept while also retaining Samuel's conscience. I come to sacrifice to the Lord was true, though other facts could be omitted without damaging Samuel's conscience. And so I note this doctrine. Question 144 of our larger catechism what are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man, appearing and standing for the truth, and from the heart sincerely, freely, clearly, and fully speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and injustice and justice and in all other things 
whatsoever. Let us then be people of truth, as Samuel was, as God is a God of truth. Though we may never realistically ever speak all the truth, that's not possible actually. If you were to speak all the truth about everything, no one would ever understand what you're talking about. You cannot say all of the truth all the time. You must say the relevant truth, the pertinent truth, the edifying truth, the truth to build up, yes, but there is a time to conceal a matter. There is a time to cover over the sins of others. We can't always say all the truth, and so God gives directives to Samuel how to retain his conscience, and yet still seasonably speak the truth that God had commanded him to do sacrifice. And notice, God does not give him the name. He doesn't say which son. I will show thee, verse 3, what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. Again, if he had the name David, what would happen to David? What would happen to Samuel himself? Dead. They'd be dead by the order of their king. Now the elders of the town, when they see Samuel coming, what do they think? You remember Samuel, the magistrate? Had he ever come on circuit to Bethlehem? Was this a normal occurrence for Samuel to show up at the gates of Bethlehem? Didn't he just hack Agag into pieces? So they ask him, comest thou peaceably? Have you come on an act of vengeance against us? They knew Samuel's reputation for justice. And there is, I'd note here, a godly manhood that though it need not be like a churl, as Nabal was a churl, neither should it be effeminate or weak or wimpy. There is a properly manly conduct which has ability, efficiency, strength, and dignity. That's what Samuel has. And so they have to ask this old man, you're going to hack us to pieces? They're afraid of him. They tremble at his coming. Do you come peaceably or not? He could be a man of violence when God called for it. There are circumstances that require us as men to be violent and dangerous, and we should be able to do so. Men, let us imitate Samuel's virtues. His manful hardness, his striving to know the times and purposes that heaven had ordained, and then using what God put at his disposal in lawful manhood. Verses 6 through 13, we have the Lord's evaluation over man's and the anointing of David. Verse 6, Samuel looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This is by mere human observation. Did Samuel pray and ask, Lord, is this the one? No, he just saw him. He looked on him. Now, remember Saul? What do we remember about Saul? Well, he was head and shoulders above everyone, and he was a very handsome man. And everybody said, God save the king. And what happened to that? How'd that work out? Not so great. Man's so-called wisdom at play in the observation here, oh, this has to be him. God says, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature as you did with Saul, in other words. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. Now, by the way, you cannot fault men for being incapable of looking on the heart of another. That's, that's not saying that's sinful per se, but it can be sinful 
when men make what they observe with their eyes superior to what God reveals in his word. The Lord seeth not as man seeth. Man cannot look upon the heart of his neighbor. In fact, it is not even fully possible for us to look upon our own hearts. Our hearts are desperately wicked. We can't even understand our own intentions and evil, much less our neighbor. We can't even see inside of their head. Let this be a humbling to us, to give us pause. Do you know it's easy to judge other people, but do we actually know the hearts of other men? Do we understand their intentions, their inward thoughts? We don't. We might hear, we might see, we might make observations, and those are valid and must be used in a biblical and proper way. But do you know God discourages us from judging anything before the time? Because we might see as Samuel, oh, look at that guy. He's got to be the Lord's anointed. Was he? He wasn't. Judge nothing before the time. Refrain, wait. Time will manifest whether your judgment is correct or incorrect. And you will lose nothing if you are wronged. You will lose much if you do wrong. If you judge falsely and in an is disorderly way before the time you will be judged as a liar and a slanderer. If you refrain and that person wrongs you because you could have judged them before that, are you doing evil by being wronged? Verses 8 through 10 then, the seven sons of Jesse pass before Samuel, God rejects them all. And then there's a question, well, are these all your children? Jesse answers, verse 11, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. David was used as a slave. He's out there working, and it says his countenance was ruddy. He was baked by the sun. He's out working all day. He's not even here for the sacrifice. Somebody has to watch the sheep. Well, who's going to do it? Faithful shepherd, the youngest son, David himself. Serving his father's interests... As the greater son of David, the good shepherd himself would do. Jesus, our Lord, is the son of David in many ways, and not all just genetic, descended from David by genetics. No, he's also the son of David because he's a shepherd, and he's a king, and he's a prophet, and he's a priest. As David plays all of those, he's persecuted by his brethren. He's anointed with oil. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, as we'll see in David later. Send and fetch him, Samuel says, for we will not sit down till he come hither. Now they would sit down once the sacrifice was complete, once the animal was roasted, then everyone's present, we will sit and eat together. They're still standing. They've done the sacrifice, the sacrifice is over, the animal's been cooked, but they're not going to eat until what? Till David shows up. They're not ready. The deal is not done. David comes in verse 12, he is ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to, agreeable to the eyes. Now Esau is also described as ruddy, that's where he got his name Edom, red like clay. Likely it is that David was fair skinned with a reddish complexion as baked by the sun, you might call him a redneck so to speak. The Lord said then to Samuel, arise, anoint him. For this is he. 
God is anointing David with oil through the prophet Samuel. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ, again, David is a type of Christ. Christ was anointed with the Spirit of God without measure. Not ever to our knowledge in the scriptures was Jesus ever anointed with physical oil, but rather with the thing signified by that oil, namely the Spirit of God. And we see then, verse 13, that in addition to the sign, God gave the thing signified. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. God confirmed the sign with the Spirit of God himself. And let us pray, God, that as we have had water poured upon us, what do we want? Water and that's it? No, we want God to give us the forgiveness of our sins, the outpouring of his Holy Spirit, that we may be cleansed from all of our filthiness and all our idols. Then verses 14 through 23, we have God's remedy for the evil spirit in David's inspired music. Now notice the stark contrast in verse 14. It just told us how the Spirit of the Lord came upon David himself, and then what? But, that's an adversative conjunction. I'm telling you one thing, now I'm going to tell you something completely different. Here is David with the Spirit of God poured out, but what's happening to Saul? What kind of spirit is being poured out upon him? Well, it's an evil spirit. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, do you recall the other Saul of the New Testament rather than the old? What happened to him? Do you know an evil spirit afflicted him? And he asked God, a, a messenger sent from Satan to buffet him, and the apostle Paul asked God to please remove this from me, and God said what? No. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Christians can be afflicted with evil spirits. That's a fact. But notice, Saul is afflicted with an evil spirit, and how does he respond? Does he become suppliant to God? Does he bow on his knee and humble himself before the Lord and request the removal of this demon? No. Rather, he seeks to some other method of remedy. In fact, this evil spirit will come upon him to the extent that he will become murderous and jealous and eventually worshiping by a witch. God judged this man, Saul, by this evil spirit. It says that this spirit troubled him. Now, if you can imagine driving along a road and you're sitting there with all your worldly goods and somebody comes out and rushes upon you and steals all your goods. That's the word here for troubling him. It's as if he were overtaken by an armed band of demons. They terrified and overwhelmed him. Saul was a man without hope. He had been removed from his glorious position by the prophet himself. You're no longer king. God has rejected you. And what does he have left? his own devices to grasp at the kingdom of God and say, no, it's mine. Saul's a man without hope, judged by God, not having the comfortable presence of the spirit of God, rather afflicted with a malignant spirit. And note, after having been identified as an evil spirit from God, they say to look out for someone. 
Verse 16, he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. Now this is not merely the vibration of sounds in the ear. Do you know what David would do after he received the spirit of God? God, the spirit spoke by him. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. And when he played with his hand, what else do you think David did? Nothing? Just sat there playing instruments? I think not. David would sing the psalms that God inspired him that we have in our Psalter to sing for ourselves. As he would play with his harp, he would sing the psalms. Saul then consents to have David brought to him. In fact, the servant says, I know who this guy is. It's David. He's the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. God in his providence raising up David, how? By casting Saul down. By afflicting and troubling Saul, he's going to raise and bless David. Saul then requests, send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. The wrath of man shall praise God. Saul's tyranny shall work for David's exaltation. Did, did he have the right to say to Jesse, I want your son? Is that lawful? You know what we call that? Man-stealing. It's where you take that belongs to someone else and you say, that's mine now. That's what he's doing. He's man-stealing. And don't talk back. Send me gifts. So Jesse sends him gifts as well. Give me your son. And then Saul tells him, no, he's staying here. Saul's staying with me. But note there, verse 23, Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. There was pleasant music, and likely the glorious truth of the Psalms, the sweet psalmist of Israel playing before him. Are you troubled? Are you ever vexed? Are you ever joyful or sorrowing? Do you need wisdom? You know, God tells us, to sing his psalms with these things in mind. Be filled with the same spirit that inspired the shepherd, that sweet psalmist of Israel, and let God's spirit come upon you through his word as well. And thus far the exposition of 1 Samuel chapter 16.